Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we sit down with our pastor, Eric Zellner, and discuss how God's Word applies to our lives. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I am your host, Michael. Um, we're here again, as I was saying last week, we're here again with, um, Eric and Blair. So it's all three of us. Once again, Eric, how are you doing? I'm good. I hope you are. I'm, I'm doing phenomenal. Blair, how are you doing? You're doing good. I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Well, um, we are excited for this week's episode. Um, last time we talked about, um, why we sing, uh, specifically, um, this is going to be a, a three to four part series. We're thinking it's going to be four. Um, so we're on part two, but part two is really going to be uh, less me talking, um, which is usually how it goes, but very much more <laughs> less, very much more or less me talking. That more, wasn't English. More or less of you. Yeah. Less of me. Less of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's going to be more Eric and Blair um, talking about preparation of uh, kind of how they I was about to say preparation of how they prep, prepping sure. the 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 singing and the um, musical elements um, to the service every Sunday, um, and kind of what is going into that. So, Eric, if you want to, if you want to start with that, yeah. I mean, we were talking about you know offline, just really what does the the rhythm of the week look like in order to have a worship service on Sunday morning? I think most people would walk in, they grab a bulletin, they open it. And they just follow along, but most people are not thinking about the fact that that we've been kind of working on that and thinking through it since Monday morning. Mm-hmm. And so we do want to talk a little bit about what that routine looks like each week. And uh, it, it's our hope, I think, by the end of this, that our that our folks can can come into worship with a renewed perspective on all the thoughts that are going into it, all the prayer that's going into it. Um. And also, you know, the the intention to try to stick closely with the themes of the passage mm-hmm. that are going that, that are going to be preached. Um, reformed churches like ours uh, should be and always um, must be rooted in in the Word. And so, as as a people of the Word, we recognize that the even the structure of our worship flows towards the preaching of the Word, mm-hmm. and then to respond from the preaching of the Word. Yeah. Um, and and. Of course, the sacrament is always uh, that that second. You might say, like a punch that drives home the the preached word. It's a it's the physical representation of the word. So, I wanted to go over our routine uh, first. On a um, having preached on a Sunday, having had dig, digging deeper, I will get up on Monday morning and I'll start reading the passage of scripture that I'm moving towards in the particular week. Um, and we have a weekly staff meeting at 1230 uh, every Monday with uh, Josh and Blair and Katie Hames and myself. And we talk through what's coming in the week. And then after the staff meeting, Blair and I sit down and, and actually work through uh, the passage of Scripture. And so this is what that, this is what that looks like. We pray, um, and then I read the passage out loud. And then I talk through with her the themes that I can see forming in the text, uh, where I believe we're going to go, and what I think, um, what I think application will end up pointing towards. Um, for me, that's really useful as a 
to process that out loud a little bit. That's that's really helpful for me. But then Blair and I begin to work towards crafting the songs by way of uh, connection mm-hmm. to the to the themes of the text. So we pick songs deliberately connecting to those themes. Um, I would love for Blair to speak to kind of from her chair what that looks like as we're working through the the Monday. Yeah, yeah I actually um, when we meet on Mondays, it's one of my favorite times of the week. I love reading through the text. It's helpful for me and just my even my own heart preparation of kind of having a little bit of an advanced view of what the sermon is going to be. And, <laughs> a, sneak, um, a sneak peek. Yeah, yes, <laughs> and it's a, a trailer, if yeah. you will. Um, but so, we, yeah, we read the passage, and sometimes I'll have a few thoughts coming in if I've read the passage beforehand. Um, it looks a little bit different just where we are in the text. It's funny, I was thinking about when we were in Exodus. I feel like I'd come in a lot of times and think I'm not really sure what <laughs> where we're going <laughs> to go with this. Um, but then we talk about it. It's really helpful. But anyway, so as we talk through it, I um, jot down some thoughts. And the first thing we do is pull the Trinity hymnal off the shelf. And um, I'm have a few thoughts as he's talking, um, but then we just kind of start thinking through, okay, what are the main themes of the text? And I'll jot down some words or maybe he'll say something and I'll ask him, does this, you know, play a role into one of your points and how does that work? Um, And yeah, we just kind of pull our resources together. And I think there's, there's a good balance I think there can often be a tendency to get in a grit and a repetition um, or more of a redundancy of, okay, we just need to kind of plug in. I think the Christ Center Worship book called it plugging and chugging, um, which Mm. we want to stray away from of not just kind of fitting a formula, but actually letting it be a really good repetition, um, a gospel repetition that helps prepare our hearts for worship every week. So Anyways, um, as we're just kind of talking back and forth, we start um, we start thinking through songs and how they can fit in our weekly liturgy. So, yeah, and Michael, I think that where she where she left that is super helpful because most people haven't picked up a Trinity hymnal. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some in our of our listeners will have, but the Trinity hymnal. The reason we use it, it's um, it is kind of the the standard. Um, hymnal for Presbyterian and Reformed churches um, in our day, and and it has been for 50 years, um, and it's and the current version is an adaptation that goes back several hundred years. Mm-hmm. And so um, the way that the Trinity hymnal is, um, is really useful, and the reason we pick it up first is because not only do we know uh, it's it, the charge of our session uh, really wants us to always we're kind of we always wanted to be a church that had traditional elements and the best of more modern elements as well and so the trinity hymnal actually provides us with uh, an index of scripture references that connect to certain themes so we're in mark chapter two um um, one of the very first things we're going to do is go look at mark chapter two in the index of the trinity hymnal (laughs) what connects there um, and and so often, I think more often than not, in my 20 years of ministry, I'm like, hmm, well, the Trinity hymnal is missing this particular verse again, and this one, and this one, especially through Exodus, right, Blair? Um, <laughs> so, you know, that that's often fruitless, uh, which is okay. We Then we just talk through the themes, and there's another index 
of themes in the Trinity hymnal. And you can go, okay, well, we're going to talk about um, for this week, uh, we're going to talk specifically about the newness of the gospel and how um, Christ cannot be overlaid over other religious traditions. And so, hmm, let's see, the word traditionalism is not going to be in the Trinity hymnal, <laughs> yeah. so what can I start thinking about? And so we start thinking about uh, gospel, big gospel themes. So this, um, I wanted to mention too, when we're thinking about the songs, there's a flow to these songs that's quite deliberate. The book that Blair mentioned is a book called Christ-Centered Worship. Um, it's by Brian Chappell, who is He's now the stated clerk of our pre, of our denomination, um, but the subtitle, the subheading, is called "Letting the Gospel Shape Our Practice," and he does a great job of of tracing all the way back to Calvin and Luther, some refor- some of the Reformed traditions of worship, and then all the way up to the Westminster Confession of Faith and uh, what you know those of the Westminster Assembly would have shaped worship like, and then all the way forward to Robert Rayburn and some modern. People now, Robert Rayburn was a was the at one time the president of Covenant Seminary. Mm. Um, so, f- song number one is always going to be connected to that call to worship. We use the call to worship to proclaim the character of God, why He's actually worthy of our worship. And I'll I'll always try to be using passages of Scripture that are from that character commanding a response. And I've in our podcast on worship, I've talked about the fact that worship is a dialogue, right? So. Having been summoned to worship, that first song needs to be strong and powerful, a proclamation of the character of God. Um, and, and so you'll often see a, tra- a, a traditional hymn in that spot. Not always, but it's a good spot for it. Um, and then our second song, having done uh, various confessions of faith, having done various confessions of sin, we have a gospel response song. Um, and... Um, in a minute, I'm going to ask Blair to kind of go through our order of worship this week and just pick up those songs and explain those. But that gospel response fits beautifully coming off of the confession of sin. Mm-hmm. We've just confessed our sin. We've just been assured that God loves us through Christ. And then we, uh, in a sense, we're basking in the gospel in that spot. Um, and then that third song, and I'm talking about just the songs that are sung by the congregation, that third spot comes right after the the particular sermon, um, and we're singing in response to that, and so that needs to carry the themes of um, of my embrace of the message, my response to that message, things like that. Yeah. So, um, Blair, would you mention kind of even this week what that looked like? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, especially or specifically this week as we're talking about the fullness of Christ and um, just Christ is our only hope. I use the sentence, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Um, or I've heard that, and that's kind of the main theme that came to my mind as we're discussing the sermon for this week. Um, first, I mean, we have our prelude, and the thing we look for in the prelude is mainly lyrics that are meditative and, med- whoa, meditative and helpful for the congregation as they're looking at the lyrics in the bulletin and they're preparing their hearts for worship. Um, the met the sorry the prelude this week is pensive doubting fearful heart and so it's a place to look at your own heart and um, think through preparing your heart for mm-hmm. worship and then um, the first song is holy 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 and so the first thoughts that came to my mind when we were talking about the sermon would be um, the presence of God his power um, but presence was the main word and so 
Holy, Holy, Holy struck me as a song that would proclaim the presence um, of God, his character, his fullness. And it's also a song that is Trinitarian. It um, describes three members of the Trinity. I remember one time I had to plan another worship service at a different church and one of the pastors said, why don't you think through what it would mean to maybe think through all members of the Trinity as you plan um this worship service. I think I just had songs about maybe the Holy Spirit, which is very helpful. Um, but it's good to think through um, mm-hmm. God in three persons. Yeah. And so Holy, Holy, Holy is always a very helpful song for that. <laughs> um, and so anyways, and then we sing um, an assurance or we sing after the assurance. And so um, we're singing Thy Mercy, My God this week, which is just this joyful response Um to being assured of God's grace for us. Sometimes I like to think of songs that we sing in terms of we proclaim and then we digest. Um, Holy, Holy, Holy would fall into the category as proclaiming who God is and his character. And then thy mercy, my God, is fully digestive. Um, the, I think of that last verse is great father of mercy of mercies thy goodness i own in the covenant love of thy crucified son all praise to the spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine just this beautiful image of embracing the gospel message and digesting what it actually means to be um to be a child of god and so i'm really excited to sing this congregationally this week one of the things i wanted to mention because this is this is how beautifully that fits um I'm I'm reading Mark 2 and the issue is people are asking him why his disciples don't fast. Mm-hmm. And and the the heart of fasting in the Old Testament even for John John the Baptist disciples is they're actually grieving over their sin and the distance that they feel and know from God. So the issue of God's presence is is really important. Mm-hmm. And so what she's just described there is not just simply, I think this feels that way, uh, you know, in my heart. It's actually very, very connected mm-hmm. to the holiness of God, yet the nearness of God. The very fact that there's a trinity uh, compels us to see God as one who moves and acts toward his people. So fasting is not inappropriate, and it has a time and place, but Jesus's point is, uh, I'm actually here with my disciples. That's why they're not weeping, mm-hmm. um, because the party is now. Um, and I mentioned that because what was the what was the second song? Thy mercy, my God. So then, my mercy, my thy, thy mercy, my God, fits so beautifully in response to that. And the concept of the covenant love of the crucified Son um, is the very thing that she's talking about. It just fits so beautifully with a response to a Christ who's near mm-hmm. um, and a celebration of the mm-hmm. gospel. So anyway, I'll let you go into point, yeah. third point, but it, it it would be easy to miss why that yeah. mattered. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, we sing, I mercy my God. And then it moves into the offertory. Um, this week, the offertory is Come Ye Souls by Sin Afflicted. It's just this beautiful song of confession, but also of prayer about the Christian life. Um, I love to always think through a song that deals with themes of the Christian life and the joys and the struggles and um, that come with that. And so I think that that would fit into that category. Um, and then our final song can is... I, can I ask one question? Question. Yes. Just it, this is a question to both of you. Um, is there any? I guess is there any 
specific thinking about like it being an offering? Is there, I don't know. I don't know if the Trinity hymnal has a, a sacrificial, you know, index uh, thing in there. Is there anything like that that y'all do um, an offering? Like, you know, okay, this is the time. This is, you know, you're almost doing like double worship, you know, at the same time, cause you do an offering, which is, which is part of, which is included in our worship. Um, I also just screamed into the mic. I kind of heard myself just scream into the mic a little bit, there. but you know, and then you're also, we're also singing um, a song, but is there any kind of, you know, choice in that of, of making it specifically like maybe sacrificial or something like that? Well, from a, from a selection standpoint, what I'm, what I'm thinking of in that point is, we're giving the tithes and offerings at that point, um, but it's the it's the it's the compelling of the reason of the gospel that makes the tithes mm-hmm. and offerings go. So, so I'm thinking thematically about um, big gospel comforts that's that actually move our hands to be opened mm-hmm. to give to the okay. Lord. So, um, not so much uh, here we come giving our tithes and offerings. Um, Praise Jesus, we're happy. Yeah. That I don't know if that's a song, but I just I just wrote it. If it's not, um, but I mean, at the same time, it's the gospel which compels us. So I give. I, I really want Blair at that point to having th- heard those themes. I want her to have some freedom in that spot to use songs that seem to fit with where we're going. Uh, I've been asked before, Michael, why don't we sing the song in that spot in the offering? Mm-hmm. And I think you know it's helpful for our people to know. If you know the song, you're welcome to sit there and sing mm-hmm. in your chair. Uh, we often use that spot to introduce songs that we're going to be bringing to the congregation for congregational singing later on. Mm. That's part of what we're doing. Mm. So, Yeah, and I'll add to that. I think I've been pleasantly surprised, I think, of how God uses that offertory spot. Um, because people are mainly listening, and one of my favorite things to do is to look out and see the people hearing lyrics. Sometimes we're singing a brand new song. This past week we sang a song that hasn't even been released yet. And people are looking at the lyrics and they're seeing them come alive as they're preparing to hear the sermon. And um, so sometimes this spot can be a little bit more meditative and a place to continue to digest the the assurance that comes right after mm-hmm. that song following the assurance and so it it's a good way to move into um, the sermon but again we also use that as a really good place to introduce new songs and we'll do that a few you know we'll do a song a few times in that spot or in the prelude spot um, before we before we teach it as a way to teach it to the congregation but I have been pleasantly surprised of how that can be a really um, touching um almost a way of a way of to counsel people in just their preparation um for the sermon so what was the song title for the offertory last week um, it was called come unto jesus originally come ye disconsolate where'er ye languish <laughs> yeah i wanted her to mention that because it's um i was actually struck by that um that song, Come Ye Disconsolate Where'er Ye Languish, is in the Trinity Hymnal 615. Um, not not the area code of Nashville where I'm from, but <laughs> it's it's actually 615. The uh, But what the Gettys did is they took this song, and, and they did almost nothing but change the vocabulary. They, they simply updated the vocabulary. Um, 
most of us don't use the word ye anymore, and most of us don't use the word deconsolate, disconsolate, yeah. and very few of us use the word languish. It's my first time hearing that word. Is it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Disconsolate>. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've We're ever like, heard not, that. Not before today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's actually, you know, the themes were beautiful in its original giving, and so the themes were, uh, in my mind, uh, really well uh, recovered. You might say resurrected. Um, Come ye disconsolate, where'er ye languish. Come to the mercy seat, fervently kneel. Here bring your wounded hearts. Here tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrows that heaven can't heal. Um, and and the the song that the Gettys wrote and and put together was very much a modern version of that same and and much more predictable and much more singable, I think, than the one that's in the Trinity hymnal. So I I, I think um, have we covered the last song? Okay, do that, and then we'll move to um, what happens the rest of the week. Yeah. Yes, so um, our last song is Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death for this week. It's um, I would put that in, in the category of um, a song that proclaims but also digests, and I can explain a little bit of that. It's, it's a song based off of the Heidelberg Catechism of what is your only hope in life mm. and death, Christ alone, Christ alone. And so um, what Eric's preaching on this week in Mark 2 is all about Christ's fullness and Christ being our only hope. And so it was kind of a light bulb of, oh, we haven't done this in a while. Um, and it's it fits so well in that third spot because it further emphasizes um, just this idea of Christ's fullness. And so the verses are proclaiming who Christ is. He is our only hope. Um, and then the chorus is, the, is an opportunity to digest the verses. It's, oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Um, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. And so I love this idea of ending with this proclamation of the gospel um, I sometimes I call it a justification song. It's really, really important mm. to have those strong justification songs and Christ alone would be another example that would fit in that category um, that proclaims. But also I love how that chorus is just this beautiful exhale, this digestive response um, after the sermon. And again, going along with that, come unto Jesus and Christ our hope in life and death and all of these really powerful modern hymns. One of the reasons we sing these modern hymns is they're, um, they're relative lyrics, they're simple, and a lot of them are recovered lyrics from old hymns that have existed for years and years and years. Um, and so the reason we sing these is because they're more predictable and more singable, and they help us to understand maybe ancient hymn texts. And so I'm really thankful um, for people who have recovered these old hymns and have set them to modern music. Um, and Christ, Our Hope and Life and Death would be an example of that in terms of the Heidelberg Catechism. So, I mean, also those songs are just deeply, deeply rooted in scripture. Oh yeah. You know, that's where oh, yeah. they, that's where the original lyrics were definitely just founded in, you know, um, you know, it's not the Psalter, but I definitely think there was definitely a lot of, um, inspiration and everything like that. So, um, I think that's definitely one of the bigger things that I see is, is how scripturally these songs are pushing us, you know, to also not only digest, you know, the sermon, but digest the word itself. Yeah. Um, through a yeah. scriptural type scriptural hymn kind of thing. Well, and and Michael, I mean, to your point, that's actually ha- that's the determining factor in my mind whether or not something's going to be sung mm. at Christ present. Or first of all, step one is it actually is it actually rooted in in the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Does it thematically or actual in actual vocabulary quote or cite the scriptures? Um, 
And then beyond that, we have to answer the question, is it predictable and singable? Um, and so that's really, really important. The um, So then, I, you know, we will walk away from our conversation together on a Monday or on a Tuesday, and we will know what the songs are going to be that we're aiming for. There's been a few, one or two occasions in my time where I've made a change, but that's very, very rare. Um, from there, what I do is I sit down and I think through those themes and I actually begin to put together what would the call to worship be that fits with this first song? What would be the call to worship that would fit with the uh, with the themes of the text? I'm actually using uh, David's song uh, after a major deliverance of God in First Chronicles uh, chapter 16. I used a portion of it last week. I'm going to use a portion of it this week. Um, and it fits beautifully. Um concerning praise to the Lord for his character and who he is and his presence and his nearness to his people. And then, um, I, you know, if I'm going to do an alternate reading of a passage from, you know, if I'm re- preaching in the New Testament, I, I'll often use an Old Testament reading early in the text. But th- this week we're doing the Lord's Supper, so I take that portion out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I craft the rest of the, the order of worship from confession of sin to assurance of pardon uh, according to the themes of what we're going to cover. Um, and, and that's, that's a process that takes me, um, I usually, I like to go home on Tuesday and know that my bulletin's done. Um, (laughs) I didn't do it this week. Um, but then I, I spend Wednesday working on the text and I spend Wednesday working on the outline. And, uh, to me, I can, I can really start writing once I have the outline Mm -hmm. in place. What is this? Because there's, what's the text about, but then there's, um, almost like what's the preaching point of it when I put a main idea in the in the outline that's what that is mm-hmm. and and so from there I spend the rest of the week working on the sermon mm-hmm. and uh, so I want Blair though to because there's more that goes on from the musical standpoint mm-hmm. too yeah so it definitely varies per week um, but after we meet I normally on Tuesday will put all the music in this thing we have called planning center um and i'll send out a message to the team and um get all of that organized but um i begin to listen to some arrangements that would be helpful um and it, it depends you know there's songs that we've been doing for a long time that um the arrangement works and so we just keep doing it because the church knows it and then there are some songs where maybe i want to find a way to make it more helpful for the church. Um, and so I'll try to come find a new arrangement or, um, or yeah. So anyways, I listen to different arrangements and honestly, I mean, different music directors from other churches have sent me things and that kind of thing. And so there's definitely a huge help when you're just connected to other worship, you know, other music, um, leaders in different churches and that kind of thing. And so, um, and a good thing that I like to do and I'm really bad at it too, is to listen to the songs just for meditative purposes during the week to prepare my own heart for worship and thinking through how the songs can be helpful for, um, the team and for the church. And so then we practice as a team and I normally come in with a skeleton, plan (laughs) and see what happens and that's the really fun thing about having a relatively small but um very skilled and um just yeah excited team is we can help each other and i'll lead the practice but if anyone has ideas or recommendations for how a song um you know for 
a specific place in a song, then we can add that in. And it's a really fun time to build on the songs we're doing and um, creatively think through how we can do that musically. Um, And things specifically that I try to focus on is dynamic builds in a song. And what that means is, for example, in Christ Alone, we always come down in the beginning of verse three when it talks about the crucifixion of Christ. And then we build um, musically um, when it talks about Christ's resurrection. And what that does is it leans into the gospel truths that we're singing about and it warms our hearts to actually believe and be stirred um, by the lyrics. And so another thing that I'm really bad at but I want to get better at is um working at enunciating words so like for example one time at in a different worship team we were singing the song that had the words everlasting God on it and so I told whoever was leading that song to really attack that word everlasting um because that's an adjective to describe the character of God and all of that is just helping the congregation recognize um recognize the character of God and be stirred to worship. And so I think about like maybe this week we're doing thy mercy, my God. And I really want us to enunciate thy mercy, my God, um, to help people respond and, um, and recognize that God's mercy really is beautiful. And so we'll do some of those musical things that have a purpose. Um, and we're not trying to, you know, create an artificial worship environment. We're just, we're wanting to press into, um, this gospel truth. And my prayer every Sunday before we practice is Lord, help us to sing each song like we believe it. And, um, and so that's what, that's what we're doing. And I often feel like I come into, um, come into Sunday morning with my three loaves and two fish, or is it two loaves, three, three loaves, whatever it is. And five loaves and two. (laughs) Yeah. And just, And I just see what the Lord does. And so everything that we do has a lot of preparation, but it has um, more prayer than preparation and just asking the Holy Spirit to um, to work in whatever way he will. And um, there are some times where I feel more unprepared and I ask the Lord to help me through that. And I find myself being very, very dependent on the Lord on Sunday mornings um, for that. So. Michael, I, I think, I think one of the things that Blair and I've talked about, and I, I say this with everybody who, um, e- even who's a part of the staff, um, this is, it's always about getting out of the way and pointing to Christ, mm-hmm. right? So um, we want to help God's people engage in the act of worship in the in the order and the form that he's prescribed, which is, I've talked about the regulative principle of worship in the past. But by doing that, really what we're doing is we're letting um, God be the audience of worship, but not to the exclusion of the fact that we also have a horizontal element Mm -hmm. here, that God's actually made us as a body to participate in this worship together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we, we, we probably, in, in telling people what the week looks like, how we prepare, um, it's my hope that those who are listening could could recognize, okay, when I come in to worship, the Lord is the audience, um, and and I'm a part of the body, and the body is giving praise to the to the head who is Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those who are standing up front are only leading in the sense of 
and, and I would always do this physically by doing a sidestep and pointing backwards to Christ, right? Who's who's the one who's really the mm-hmm. uh, the one to whom we point? And so, uh, worship is meant to draw all the attention to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, what what questions do you think our people uh, might have here at the end? Uh, uh, I don't have any questions myself. Okay. Um, I guess it, for me, it's just an encouragement to, to realize that it's not just um, it's not just something like ah, oh, we'll figure that out on Sunday. You know, it's yeah, not something yeah. that is is carelessly, um, you know, put together. It's there's there's so much thought and attention, mm-hmm. not in the sense of um, trying to, I guess, craft an emotion, craft an experience of some sorts, but it's it truly is that that what you're saying, take a side step and point back to God. Yep. Um, you know, this is a way of, of you two truly, mm-hmm. you know, glorifying the Lord through your work mm-hmm. of like showing your dedication and care. Mm-hmm. I mean, as the pastor and as the music coordinator, yeah. you know, pastoring and, and, and coordinating things that will be for the benefit of the people and of the congregation, yeah. but ultimately to glorify God and to mm-hmm. help our, our eyes look unto God. That's um, the, that's the heart of it. We would, I would not want anybody to think, oh, they, they, They've explained in this podcast how they make a worship experience happen. <laughs> yeah. There's lots of churches that are trying to create a worship yeah. experience yeah. for you, and that's wholly different. If we if we're trying to create a worship experience, then actually we're the audience, yeah. right? And we're seeking nothing more than the experience. Yeah. Um, reformed worship is rooted in um, is rooted in creating a worship that honors the King. Um, and, and as I say at the start of all of our worship services, we've got to have our eyes lifted off of ourselves in order to find a place of rest. Um, and so even in that last song, as she mentioned it, I, I was just struck by the fact that when we're singing hallelujah, um, our hope springs eternal, there's this horizontal element that strengthens us all, right? We, in fact, if we rightly worship the Lord, as the body looking to the head and singing of our king, um, we ultimately end up with a worship experience that we didn't have to plan for, right? Because Jesus is the audience of the worship. Um, that We were made to, to be worshipers. And uh, as, as so many scholars have said before me, um, if we do not worship the Lord, we will end up worshiping something else. This, this to me, is the, is the major takeaway. Yeah. Um, the reason God's people need worship um, is not because Eric and Blair got together on a Monday and started thinking <laughs> through this. It's really because uh, this is is made and designed by God for him to receive glory and also for our hearts to finally be lifted. Um, and, and it's when we worship the Lord that we actually enjoy the blessing of that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, Would absolutely. You have anything, anything else, Blair? Yeah, I th- and I think just going off of that and kind of repeating a little bit of what we said last week, Worship is this beautiful gift that God has given us um, that we get to respond to him, that we get to sing to him is a gift. And so everything that we're doing in preparation during the week is actually just to gather and like respond to this gift to worship him. And I think I'm just so utterly humbled every week to see how it's it's God's worship service all along. And even as we, as we plan, we come humbly and say, okay, Lord, plan your worship service. And he does. And I think there's sometimes on Monday where we leave and we're like, okay, we'll see what happens. And then, um, to see how the Lord beautifully orchestrates everything. It, 
utterly belongs to him. I think again of that metaphor of Christ being the host and we are his guests and he's hosting us in his um, worship service. And again, I mean, it's this rehearsal for the wedding feast. And so that should drive us in our preparation. So, Okay. that um, I wanted to mention we've done two to this point mm-hmm. and our third will be like we've spent time today talking about how we're preparing for worship. And this third one will be um, as we talk next week about how we use worship to shape yeah. the congregation. It's formative for God's people. Yeah. Um, and then in the fourth week, I hope we talk about hymns, particular ones that we use in more specific detail about the things that we we sing. So, yeah. I have one funny question. <laughs> where's uh, Where's the drum set? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> um, it's in my mom's basement. Um, that's, for, where I, that's where I left it. Forrest Gump? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> No, it, um, we don't have a drum set. I, I, uh, I've been deliberate about that mainly because um, we, you want to. I, I think we want to use percussion. We've got a space that would cause that to be utterly distracting, yeah, it would be. Uh, <laughs> and it would take a lot away from it. Yep. Um, reformed worship isn't isn't necessarily opposed to drums or particular instruments, um, but you want to use things that fit well together. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be it would be the centerpiece if yeah, if, it if we had to drop quite set. loud. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> I was just saying that just as a little little yeah, funny gag at the I end. I love it. The cajon, um, yeah. Don't sleep on the cajon. That's no, the cajon's sure. great. I love a work. box that can you can bang on and oh, it makes, yeah. it makes it's good awesome. sound. But <laughs> I, that actually brings up a helpful point. I think I think I keep saying the word helpful because every everything that we do should be helpful and natural and. So I want to make sure all of our worship elements and the instruments we use are helpful and natural um, and just help the congregation worship. So um, in our context, in our location, the cajon does the work and um, and it's helpful. So there you go. Well, sweet. I think that uh, definitely covers it all. Um, but we will uh, catch all of y'all in the next one, uh, the next episode where we where we will be talking about how worship shapes us and kind of how we are um, as a congregation, not the audience, but the congregation, um, you know, how we can prepare for worship and how we can be shaped from it. So thank you all for listening.